Ordinary Fellowship is a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations will offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee. Uh, Matthew is not with me today because we're sharing another sermon that I preached at our church, Two Rivers Community Church. The text that the sermon is based on is in Psalm 119, verse 136, where the Word of God says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not follow your law. What is it that makes you cry? Last night, as not last night, Friday night, I, I've been working seven days a week, so I don't know what day it is. Um, Friday night, I was meditating on this message, thinking through it and praying about it back in my bedroom, and I hear a wailing cry out in the living room, and I, I knew who it was. Grace was wailing about something. At first, I didn't know whether she was laughing or crying, but I figured I ought to go out there and see what's going on that's so bad that she's wailing so loud uh, that I can't, that I can hear her back in my bedroom. Apparently, Shelly had showed her a sweet video, or a, like a sweet little commercial on on her phone, and she was wailing about it. And, you know, the the commercial wasn't even really sad. It was it was touching and endearing and all those things. But Grace was wailing because it reminded her of someone we know who recently lost someone they love. And so her heart was broken over this video. Grace is often crying about movies and videos, and we have to be careful because if someone dies in the movie, Grace is going to be upset. There's a couple movies that are that are good movies that she can't watch because they just upset her so bad. She has a really tender heart and and cries frequently because of that. I, not so much. (laughs) But what is it that makes you cry? Maybe you don't, you're like me and you don't cry at a sweet, tender commercial or a movie where someone dies what does it what is it that makes you cry? Now everybody cries when someone we love dies. We t- cry tears of joy at graduations, weddings, at the birth of a baby. Genuine tears are an indication of what one really cares about. We cry at funerals because we've lost someone we love. We c- cry when someone we love is hurting. We also cry because of compassion. That is, as Timothy Keller explains, the sadness of another's condition makes us sad. It affects us. The psalmist in this verse that we looked at, or that we looked at sheds tears when he sees men disobey God's law because of his love for God and his compassion for fellow man. The psalmist here embodies the heart of a Christian towards God and his fellow man. We ought to have streams of tears flowing from our eyes because people disobey God's word, like the psalmist. 
And so this morning we will examine our text with three questions so that with the help of God's Spirit, we may have a heart of compassion for sinners, that we might have tears for sinners. Those three questions are as follows. What is the law, number one? Number two, why is disobedience so bad? And number three, who is it that disobeys the law of God? First, what is the law? Second, why is disobedience so bad? And finally, who is it that disobeys the law of God? Now, my guess is I really don't need to spend a whole lot of time talking about what the law of God is to this group. However, I do think it's worth mentioning and worth talking about because there are way too many Christians today who either minimize or ignore God's law. Matthew read a passage a little bit about grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And so even Paul later says, so should we sin so that grace will abound more? And then people hear us say we're under grace and not law, and they, and they, choose, they find rationalizations to minimize the law and think it's not the Christian's duty to obey the law. But Jesus warned us in his Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Brothers and sisters, the law of God has not been abolished. The moral law of God is revealed. Well, before I get to that, let me give you a definition of the law of God, which is, comes from uh, the Baptist Catechism. It's not word for word. It's my summary of the Baptist Catechism. It's, the law of God is God's revealed will for mankind to which they are duty-bound to perfectly obey. The law of God is God's revealed will for mankind, to which they are duty-bound to perfectly obey. The law is God's will. It tells us how we ought to live, how God desires and wants us to live. And it's our duty as believers in Jesus Christ, whatever that law is, is to obey it and do so by the grace of God, to the best ability, and to aim for perfection in obedience to the law of God. This moral law of God is revealed, it's natural law, it's, it's revealed in our conscience, in the nature of things and the way they're made, so that all men know God's law. The law of God especially is written in the pages of Scripture. The Ten Commandments are a summary of God's moral law. And a further summary is where Jesus teaches us that we're to love our God, love God and our neighbors. This is the law of God. Now, there's many particular, specific laws of God throughout the Old and New Testament, and, and we have to use wisdom and understanding how Things have changed because of the coming of Christ. But one thing that has not changed is the will of God. The moral law of God has not changed from the beginning of time, and it will not change 
to the end of time. God's law stands firm forever. And so God's people today, the New Testament church, the people of God today are to obey the moral law of God. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be brokenhearted at the disregard for and the disobedience of God's law that is so prevalent in our culture. And even the church has become worldly in this regard. So why is this disobedience so bad? Why is the psalmist not just shedding a tear, not just feeling bad about this, but the psalmist says his eyes shed streams of tears. Why is it so bad? Number one, disobeying the law of God is so bad because it dishonors God. John Calvin boldly states in this regard, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. We just prayed this morning for China, and in that powerful prayer, our sister in Christ prayed about the persecution that's going on in China. I I subscribe to the thing that shares prayer requests for persecuted Christians, and this week one of the prayer requests was for China, and specifically for children, because in China, apparently, if you're under 18 years old, old, you aren't allowed to go to church. The government there has usurped the place of God. They, they are trying to take dethrone God's place. This ought to make us angry that this is happening, not just in China, but whenever it happens. These, these people are dishonoring God. Yes, in a minute we'll talk about how we could, should look with compassion on people who are disobeying God and the people who are suffering from this disobedience. But first we have to understand the major reason why this, why we ought to be weeping tears is because it dishonors him whom our soul loves. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're const- we are offended when someone burns, steps on, or other dis- otherwise dishonors our flag. How much more should we be offended when our God is, disobe- is dishonored by our disobedience to his law? It ought to move us. It ought to, in, in a sense, anger us. When I, the prayer suggestion for China, didn't say this, but I was... As I was praying, I thought of the imprecatory psalms and prayed that God would break the teeth of this ungodly and unrighteous government for usurping the place of God and dishonoring dishonoring him as they have. It's not just China who dishonors God. It's not just nations who dishonor God, but individuals. Individuals dishonor God as well. And our hearts should be broken. We we should be weeping tears of grief and maybe even anger 
when our God is so dishonored by disobedience to his law. Secondly, we, we should be brought to tears over this because disobedience to God's law brings both temporal and eternal judgment. It brings judgment in the here and now, and it will bring future eternal judgment, judgment forever. Throughout the Old Testament, whenever Israel or other nations disobeyed God, he brought temporal judgment on them, which then was a precursor to eternal judgment if they refused to repent. These judgments are hard. People will suffer, not only here and now, and when, when we see the suffering that's going on, and we suspect it might be the judgment of God, it ought to break our hearts, not just because they're suffering today, but if they don't repent, if they refuse to turn to Christ, they will suffer worse for all eternity. The Lord says he will by no means clear the guilty. Compassion for Human beings created in the image of God ought to move us to grief over their impending judgment. And they may get away with it. We, we all know people who are wicked and prospering. But that day of judgment is coming. There will be a day of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Eternity in hell forever. These people do not repent. We, we ought to be moved with compassion for fellow human beings who are in this state and heading for this eternal doom unless they repent. Thirdly, it destroys lives. Now, this is actually an aspect of temporal judgment but it's, I think it's good to consider it separately. The Bible teaches that in general, the way of the, faith, the unfaithful is hard, and whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Disobedience to God's law brings about difficulty, hardship. You will reap what you sow. It destroys lives. And no doubt, we all know people who've lived sinful, self-destructive lives that have harmed themselves, their families, and community. And we've probably experienced the tears that are shed for their lives. One example of this that I, I, I don't think ever will get out of my mind is when I was pastoring in Michigan, uh, there was a man... Uh, a member of our church who was in his 70s. His son was an alcoholic. Um, he lived with his dad, couldn't drive because he'd lost his license basically forever, couldn't hold down a job because he couldn't stop drinking. He, he constantly was taking money and, and using people. Um, and one time I was visiting with his dad and he, was, he wasn't there for whatever reason. Uh, he was, well, 
I'll just not say where he I think he was. I was talking with his dad, and his dad was near in tears, blaming himself for his son. It was heartbreaking to see that his son, his son had destroyed his own life. He had reaped what he had sown. But to see his dad in tears almost, and this isn't a guy who cries at a sappy movie or, or a cute commercial. He was brokenhearted because, because, you know, when you live like someone like that, it's hard not to be an enabler, and he, he knew that, and he, he blamed it all on himself. He kept saying, I don't know what I did wrong. It made, it made me really angry. I wanted to knock his son upside his head. But that's what sin does. Sin that hurts you, but it also hurts everybody around you. It causes grief and misery. We see it in our culture, too. We have a culture that's thrown off God's law when it comes to sexuality and gender. And all it has done is cause mass confusion. People don't know their left hand from their right. They've thrown off God's law as oppressive, but God's law was intended to be for his kindness and his goodness to protect us from this confusion and evil that's in our world. And to throw it off all the craziness that we see is a result of throwing off God's word. It doesn't just hurt individuals, it brings down societies as well. Now, we tend to get angry and think, who do we need to elect to take care of this problem? But I think we need to have the psalmist's heart and see this as a tragedy that breaks our hearts, that God's law is dishonored and thrown out and viewed as oppressive. We ought to have tears. We ought to have compassion on those who have been lied to by the voices in our society. It ought to give us a heart for these people who are disobedient to God's law and who will face eternal judgment if they refuse to repent. Brothers and sisters, it is bad, eternally bad, to disobey God's law. So who is it then that disobeys God's law? There's several categories of people that I want to consider. First, we, I want to consider open unbelievers. What I'm talking about here are Believers who proudly, not believers, unbelievers who proudly, boldly hate God and flaunt his law. And you probably have a few people or stereotypes of people in your mind as I mention that. Now, not all open unbelievers are so bold and outwardly hateful to God. Some live basically moral lives. 
but not because they fear God, but because morality makes for a happier life. They might fear civil punishment, and so they avoid these kind of things. So not all unbelievers are these proud, boastful, God-hating, flaunting against God's law. Some of them are moral and upright, yet they don't believe in God. They don't follow his law. They don't want to follow his law, except if it helps them out in the short term. Matthew Henry comments here, the sins of sinners are the sorrows of the saints. We must mourn for that which we cannot mend. Only God can mend these sinners. It's not going to do to argue with them on Facebook. But you can argue to God, argue with God for their souls. God can mend these sinners. He can turn them from their unrighteousness, their, their even hatred of God, to make them lovers of God. The story of Rosaria Butterfield sounds to me like this is what's happened in her life. She was a liberal, feminist, lesbian college professor. We, those are all the things we would think of. Whoa, she is somebody who will never become a Christian. Yet, she was won to Christ by the hospitality and love of a pastor and his wife. Because they had a heart of compassion, a heart of love for someone who was an open unbeliever. Some, Some people may have spent, rather than opening their home and lives to her, would have rather picketed her or boycotted her or any of those kind of things to show their dislike for her. This pastor had a heart of compassion and love and opened his home. And through their witness, finally, Rosaria Butterfield knelt before Jesus. And Jesus became her Lord. And today, she happily lives in obedience to God's law because of what Christ has done in her life. There are also religious sinners. Uh, These are sinners who may go to church or maybe they practice another faith and at least outwardly they keep the law. But outwardly keeping the law is still only partial obedience. Total obedience to God's law involves love for God and love for others. It involves having a proper motivation and a godly attitude. If, if you're obeying God so that you have, an eternal, have eternal life, you're not really obeying God. You're actually completely going against what God says. God says for, in order to have eternal life, we need Jesus Christ and his works, not our works. And we need to turn from our works, our wickedness, our self-reliance and self-righteousness and rely on Christ. The 
moral, living a moral life, while it may bring blessings and temporal blessings in this life, will not get anyone to heaven. And they aren't obeying God's law as they ought to. So, so even though we may see people who are outwardly living according to God's law, and they may be exemplary people, but if their faith is not in Jesus Christ, they still are in violation of God's law and need to repent and turn to him. And frankly, to me, these are the scariest, these are the people in the most precarious position of all. Because the people who hate God know where they stand. The people that go to church on Sunday and live an upright and moral life but refuse to bow the knee to Christ think they're okay. My Muslim friends at work think they're okay. But they're refusing Christ. They're using the law in a way that God never intended. The law was meant to point them to Christ. And they're not turning. These sinners, religious sinners, of which some of you may be this kind of sinner, ought to break our hearts. We ought to be shedding tears that there are some who think their righteousness will earn their way to heaven. These sinners need the law preached to them to uncover their unrighteousness. It's hard to. I was, when I was pastoring over at Fairview, we were handing out stuff, and on a Saturday morning we were putting stuff on people's doors and talking to people, and we met the Jehovah's Witnesses out doing the same thing. I spent a half an hour out there trying to get these Jehovah's Witnesses to understand they aren't good, they aren't righteous, and they need Jesus. They need the law preached to them. That They need the law preached to them so it will uncover their righteousness, show them naked before God and without hope apart from Christ. Consider this morning, are you truly a believer in Jesus Christ or are you a religious sinner? A good way to Examine yourself as to ask yourself, why is it that I obey God, assuming that you obey God? Why do you obey him? Do you obey God to get, and there's a blank, and you fill in the blank with whatever it is you're trying to obtain? Do you obey God because you want eternal life? Do you obey God because you want your mom and dad to be happy? Do you obey God because you're afraid what other people may think if you don't? Why is it that you obey God? And if you can fill in that blank with anything other than that, I love Jesus Christ because of what he's done for me, because he died for my sins and has forgiven me for all of them. Friends, you may be in the predicament of these religious sinners, having the form of a godliness, but not knowing the power. I urge you, put away your own righteousness and turn to Christ and find forgiveness in him. He is your only hope, not your righteousness, not your morality. Only Jesus can save. 
And then the final category of people who disobey God is us, believers. If we stopped at just talking about openly uh, unbelievers and religious sinners, if if I only addressed them, then we would be tempted to think that these people deserve God's punishment. We would be like Jonah when God called him to preach to the Ninevites and angry that God didn't judge them but gave them grace instead. We would be like the elder brother who said to his father, we've slaved, I've slaved for you all these years and you wasted everything on your son. We would be like the Pharisees who constantly condemned Jesus Christ for hanging out with sinners and being around sinners. Instead of eyes filled with tears, if we stopped at these other types of sinners, instead of eyes filled with tears, we would have hearts filled with self-righteousness. We would be saying to ourselves, I thank you, God, that I'm not like the rest of these sinners. But brothers and sisters, we all know. We all know our hearts. We're not faithful to God one minute for one day. We're not faithful to God. I often hear, and you probably do too, that the church is filled with hypocrites. In one sense, I understand what they're saying. In the other, I I always tell people who say that, well, in order to join our church, you have to be a self-professed sinner. And no one's allowed to join our church unless they're a sinner. We're sinners, every one of us. And that's because the Bible teaches that there's remaining sin, even in believers. It ought to break our hearts that open unbelievers disobey God's word. It ought to break our hearts that religious sinners think they're obeying and they're not. Brothers and sisters, the most heartbreaking thing of all should be that you and I have been graciously saved by a gracious Savior and every day we rebel against him and his law. Our own sins, our own sinfulness ought to be the most heartbreaking thing of all. We have betrayed our Lord and Savior. We killed him on that tree. And as we come to understand our own depravity and the glory of God's grace to us, that will bring us to look with compassion on others. We'll hate our sin most of all and repent with tears. Now, I said the psalmist is an example for us, and and no doubt he is. But the psalmist points to an even better example. The psalmist, of course, is a type of Christ. And we see in Christ the fulfillment to which this sign points. Christ was constantly moved to tears at at sinners' disobedience. This is what Charles Spurgeon said about this, about the psalmist and He says, the psalmist wept in sympathy with God 
to see the holy law despised and broken. He was in sympathy with God. He shared the same feelings, the same compassion as God did towards sinners. He shared the same feelings, the same compassion that Christ did towards sinners. So if the psalmist is weeping rivers of water, how much more is Christ weeping? He is weeping to an even greater degree. Scripture confirms this conclusion. We see in Scripture Jesus weeping over the impending judgment of Israel because of their spiritual blindness in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. We see Jesus weeping over the Jews' refusal to come to him for refuge in Matthew 23, 37. In John chapter 11, we see Jesus weeping at the death of his friends because he's seeing live and in person the consequences, the wages of sin. Over a century ago, the great Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield wrote a remarkable scholarly essay called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. Warfield concluded in this essay that the Bible records Jesus Christ weeping 20 times for every one time it notes that he laughs. It is only our weeping Savior who can give us tears for sinners. One of the things that I I really thought about a lot as I was studying this passage is that it's easy when you're here at church on Sunday to hear these things and, and, and to feel it in your heart. But how many of us are going to even remember what is said next Sunday? In two weeks, it's going to be even worse. In three, this I don't think this compassionate heart that we're talking about from Psalm 119 is something that's uh, here today and gone tomorrow. We ought to have a continual compassion, maybe not streams of tears every day. That may come in seasons. But we, we as believers in Christ, as as followers of Jesus, who is a weeping Savior, we ought to have this heart for sinners all the time. How, how can then we develop this heart of compassion and continue to have it? I think one of the ways is we need to meditate on why disobedience to God's law is so bad. We need to understand and meditate and think about, understand what the Word of God says about the temporal judgment and the eternal judgment that God's bringing. We need to understand our own sinfulness. We need to be continually reminded of the grace of God and Jesus Christ. That ought to humble us and show us our sins and and give us that heart. But ultimately, We can do all these things, but only Jesus can give us that heart. Only he can change a heart that has an enmity with a God to a heart that loves God. Only Christ can give a new heart that penitently mourns its own sins and weeps for others because of the tragedy of sin. Brothers and sisters, we need this kind of heart. Our Savior is the only one who can give it. We need to turn again and again 
to him. When we see our hearts hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and we're not weeping and and compassionate about it, we need repentance and to turn again to our Savior. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never embraced him as your only Lord and Savior, the only appropriate response this morning is to acknowledge your disobedience before God and embrace Christ through the gospel in faith and repentance. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to turn from self-righteousness and find in Christ the grace to love God and others so that you too have tears for sinners. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It it is that which teaches us, exhorts us, rebukes us, reproves us. And Father, we all need that today. We need all of those things. And so, Lord, by your spirit, do your work in our hearts. Help us, Father, Put off our self-righteousness. To be humbled because of our own sins. And make, make us weep in sympathy with God. I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of everyone here, everyone listening. If, if they don't know God through Jesus Christ, that you will bring that one or that those many to saving faith in Jesus Christ today by your powerful spirit. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew and I will be back next week with a fresh new podcast and a new season of Ordinary Fellowship. Until then, we always love to hear back from our listeners You can correspond with us at our Facebook page, Ordinary Fellowship, um, or you can contact us at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. For information about Two Rivers Community Church, look up tworiverscc.org. Until next time when we'll be having spiritual conversations for Christian living. God bless.